You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm your host, Aaron Frail. On Aaron's Horror Show, we're going to go ahead and read some horror fiction and talk about horror in all its forms, books, movies, you name it. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, you can go ahead and contact Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail or Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hey, welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. Sorry about last week, I was too sick to actually record. I know I sometimes try and get those, uh, those, those uh, recordings out even though I'm sick, but man, my voice was just not having it. Uh, so unless you wanted to hear like a, like a, an old man warning you to, to beware, beware, then, then yeah, you probably just didn't want to hear it. But, you know, I'm here back this week, going to go ahead and give you finally The Girl with All the Gifts, the movie. I know we uh, talked about The Girl with All the Gifts way back in episode 11. That was a little while ago at this point because we had an interview with Jason Witter. Jason, man, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you haven't checked out Jason's interview, you should go check it out. I believe his book is already finished and, and funded, so you missed out on that one if you haven't got it. But you know what, man? He's always doing Kickstarters. You can get one of his books in the future, or you could find him on Amazon. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Girl with All the Gifts, the movie. Uh, so if you haven't heard episode 11, that's where I go ahead and talk about the book. I'm going to talk about the movie here. Uh, once again, spoilers. Uh, so I'm going to spoil this. So if you haven't read the book or seen the movie and you want to do so before you listen to this episode, please go ahead and do so and then come back and listen. All right. So uh, I thought that the movie was actually like like really good for the fact that it was a movie based on a book. And more often than not, most people who have read the books will always say, you know, uh, the, the movie was not as good as the book. I mean, hey, Dark Tower, eh? Anyone see the Dark Tower? Yeah, I saw that. And man, for... Those of you that love Stephen King's The Dark Tower, I feel your pain there, man. I totally understand, but I'll save that for another episode. Uh, as far as Girl with All the Gifts, I thought it was kind of it was good as a movie. It, of course, it wasn't as good as the book. It, it can't be as good as the book, and, and a movie usually never can be as good as the book. You know, and, and the reason why is movies just do not have the same amount of time that a book can dedicate. I mean, if you really think about it, a book can be as long or as short as it wants to be. I mean, it could go on for a thousand pages if it wants to be. It could it, it could be only just about 200. I mean, the book can go any which direction. It can add 
had any element it wants, it could get, get into the characters' minds, which a movie, the only way you can get in the characters' minds is if they kind of show it to you through action, you know, like, like really, like, it's a different medium. Movies and books, they just don't have the same storytelling ability, and so that's why more often than not, you'll always hear people say, well, my big critique is the movie is better than, or, sorry, the uh, book is better than the movie. So, uh, yeah, the book is always going to be better than the movie. It's because books can go there, whereas movies, they can't quite. I mean, if you were to go ahead and pack in everything that the was in The Girl with All the Gifts, so if you were going to kind of make the book movie but include everything that the book had, you would have this, like, five-hour-long movie, and, and you know, <laughs> people don't want to sit that long for a movie, right? Uh, unless it's like a Civil War movie, like, you know, Gettysburg or something. I don't know why. Civil War movies, they, they can go on long. But even Hamlet, man, the play Hamlet, like, it's it's a four-and-a-half-hour play if you were to do it from end to end, uh, you know, with no breaks and, and, and do every single scene that was written in Hamlet. It's a very long play. And, and you know, back in the day when Shakespeare was writing, uh, you know, <laughs> it was the only form of entertainment. People couldn't exactly go home and and watch some TV, like, like, plays were it, man, so, you know, four and a half hours, you want to get your money's worth, right, if you're going to pony up all that money, go out to the playhouse, darn it, four and a half hours, you want to be entertained, so I could see why the play went on that long, but, you know, every time you see Hamlet made into a movie, it usually cuts some things here and there, it usually condenses, it usually gets it down to maybe two and a half hours, which is kind of long when you think about a movie, except, you know, there was a yeah, yes, I know, there was a Kenneth Branagh Hamlet where they did everything, scene for scene, did the whole thing, but, you know, <laughs> wasn't exactly a hit movie, right? It was four hours long, you had to have an intermission, uh, you know, it's just, we don't necessarily watch movies in these big time chunks. There are long movies out there, there are four or five hour movies, but we don't necessarily view them, right? Like, uh, our movie like going audience is usually we're usually good for about an hour and a half if it's a comedy you know usually if you get any longer as a comedy it it, it's, it has to have some serious elements or else we kind of get tired of laughing you know <laughs> it's a, a lot of energy you expend in a comedy or if it's a, a more serious movie we could go up to two and a half hours and still be pretty engaged but you know for the most part you're thinking between an hour and a half two and a half hours that's about all you get for a movie uh so you know girl with all the gifts that we have to go ahead and take what could be four or five hours of material in the book chop it down to about uh you know i think it was about a two hour movie total and there you go and so that's why the book is better than the movie because in the book you just get a lot more depth, right? You get a lot more stuff that that happens. Uh, oh, by the way, episode 11, I uh, talked about the the girl, and I called her Pandora because I couldn't remember her name. Her name's Melanie, by the way. So the, the little girl, zombie girl, she's a Melanie. But anyway, so you, you know, with a book, you're going to get more stuff. And in the case of Girl, All the Gifts, you do get more stuff. So, like, for example... Uh, the experiment where they're, you know, educating zombie children to find out what makes their brains unique, why they don't seem to be affected by the fungus that turns adults into zombies. Uh, 
when they when they go ahead and and you know have that experiment crumble around them it's because there's these group of sort of nomad humans that uh have basically been wrangling zombies to perform raids for them so what they do is they take all these vehicles and sort of herd zombies to the encampment that they want to raid and watch the zombies sort of take down all the barriers and like run amok in the encampment and then they just come and kind of pick off the zombies and clean up the rest and take what they want and so that's why it fell in the book in the movie uh the zombies just sort of inexplicably came and killed off everyone pretty early on so uh it kind of goes through this whole segment in the beginning where you're sort of setting up the main character you know like in the book you kind of start off with her in this room wondering what they're going to do today in class and then you start learning more and more about how kind of screwed up her situation is like she's strapped to a chair there's people with guns bringing her to class and and uh, the teachers are afraid to look her in the eye or even get close to her and you know this is before you kind of reveal that she's a zombie all that kind of stuff is very obvious she's a zombie in the in the movie right like like it's it's sort of obvious that these are zombie children and it kind of glosses over that and sort of gets right into the incident where it crumbles and our main characters kind of strike out on their own. Uh, so in the movie, I thought they picked very well everyone to play the different characters. In fact, you know, when you read a book, you kind of get an image of, of what they look like in your head. And if you read a book before the movie, you might watch the movie and be like that doesn't even look like what I was thinking like you know like like a good example is Harry Potter when I first saw Harry Potter the movie I actually you know saw the movie first before I had read the book and I was like oh man I gotta go read these books and so you know I went ahead and read the Harry Potters and I eventually ended up you know having read some of the last few books before the movie came out uh so I eventually did sort of catch up to the series, but my very first introduction to Harry Potter was the first movie, and uh, because of that, you know, whenever I read the books, I saw, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and, and all the, the actors in, in those movies in my head, like, like Harry Potter looked like the movies to me, because I had already seen them and I already got that visual image. Uh, with Girl with All the Gifts, I kind of had a different image going on, but it wasn't that far off from the one in my head, so I thought, I thought they did a really good job as far as casting, uh, the entire, uh, 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 people within this, and so I thought it was a really good, a really good cast, uh, that they had for Girl with All the Gifts. Uh, so, you know, it was a really good movie in, in, in that regards that it, it went ahead and, and really sort of showed exactly like, you know, who these people were and it, you kind of got into the emotional life of them. You kind of got the mother daughter relationship between Miss Justinu and, uh, and Melanie. Uh, you also got, you know, the 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 father relationship with with the general i forget for or the the sergeant i forget his name the, the sort of military guy uh the one character that i thought they kind of kind of glossed over in the movie 
was, uh, you know, when, when they broke out of the base, there were sort of the main players. There was Melanie, there was the, the sergeant, there was Miss Justinu, and then there was the, the scientist that was wanting to cut up, uh, Melanie's brain, you know? Uh, then there was also, like, the completely green, this is his first assignment soldier. He was sort of like the, like, oh yeah, the first person to die is gonna be this guy, because he's, like, you know, the most terrified and kind of green, and this is his first assignment, and he just kind of happened to survive because he was lucky. And what was really interesting is there is this really sweet moment between him and Melanie in the book where he becomes kind of like the brotherly figure to Melanie. So he's like, like sort of like, like at first he's absolutely terrified of the zombie kid, you know, but then eventually he realizes that, man, she's just a kid just a normal kid, and, and I felt like his character kind of got lost in the movie part of it, and, and, and once again, it's, it's just that timing issue, right? You gotta focus on what's really important, and the really important was the three, you know, sort of main players of, of Melanie's life. The other thing in the movie that they didn't quite, uh, and, and here's where, where we're gonna get into some major spoilers, uh, was when she sees zombie kids for the first time. So she sees uneducated zombie kids. So the zombie kids that are just sort of out in the wild having to figure out things on their own. And, and they're like, you know, forming these hunting parties where they're just like hunting people. And of course they get the newbie guy. Uh, they kind of corner him and, and, uh, and hunt him down and, and eat him, you know, uh, because they're just acting out their zombie fantasies. And, uh, you know, Melanie's kind of horrified by seeing these other kids. Like, like because she has the power of knowledge, she kind of sees these other kids and is horrified in the book. And, and these kids in the movie are kind of scary, but they're more like horror movie scary. You know what I mean? They're not, you don't feel the, the frightness that, uh, that Melanie sort of feels, even though they did try and go there I was able to sort of get there uh but uh, because I had read the book but I'd be interested to see if someone else who maybe saw the movie kind of got that from the kids like like were they scared of the kids because uh you know they were just being scary or were they really seeing that Melanie was like oh my god I could have been one of these (laughs) you know what I mean like like I think that is kind of a the interesting part for me uh the other thing also in a a big difference between the movie and the book is you know in the end uh you find that the life cycle of of the zombies of course are they they stay perfectly still when they're not hunting and then eventually the fungus grows so much inside them it bursts out of them into a plant form and in the book it's kind of this giant wall of of spores it's like the entire city of london is is covered in this white spore mist kind of weird thing that's like highly flammable and and they realize that if you you burn it uh you know it opens these pods which then like uh you know spread the the zombie thing across the world you know so eventually everything becomes zombies and the world we know is over uh i thought that was kind of cool like i i like that image like the entire city of london covered in this like fungus like that that was kind of neat. In in the movie, of course, they couldn't really do that. And so instead, they decided to make this weird, like, space needle, like, 
vine, like, like the zombies turned into this giant, like, I, I, the best way to describe it is it, it looks like the space needle, but it's a big plant with a bunch of pods on it. Like, it was just kind of weird, funky looking. I don't really know the, uh, the, the cityscape of London too much. I've never been there myself. Uh, so, of course, the only thing I, I, I know London from is, like, you know, seeing it in, like, movies and Doctor Who and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, and, of course, they probably only go to, like, famous locations. So I don't know if there's anything that looks like the Space Needle in London. Maybe the vines grew around that object, so maybe that's what we were seeing. But, uh, you know, like, like maybe, or if that was just the shape of the plant, it was kind of just a weird, <laughs> odd shape. Like, like that weird tower was, was not necessarily imposing or as scary as I think the filmmaker intended. I felt that was kind of a miss in the film. I think like the original book of, of, of what they eventually turned into was a lot kind of creepier because it just went on forever. It was impenetrable. Like there's no way the characters were going to get through it. And, and, you know, the one thing though, I think was, you know, the end, uh, the end where they they transition the old world to the new world uh, i felt that was very very well done in the movie so the movie ends where of course the the fire is lit and the pods blow up and spread the little zombie fungus spores throughout the entire world uh, that's sort of the implication that that this is it this is humans are done there's their humans are, are are no longer the ones that are going to be on the planet anymore and uh what the book ends with is basically Miss Justinu is in this sort of super advanced military vehicle where she's kind of protected from this apocalypse. And uh, it ends with her teaching a whole new classroom of kids, but these are the weird hunter kids that Melanie kind of becomes the leader of and then forces them all to go to school. And, and sort of the implication is, is Miss Justinu is like, the last human alive passing her knowledge to the next generation of the people that will inherit the earth. Uh, so, so she's sort of like the last human saying like, this is what humans were and now it's your turn. And, uh, you know, Melanie's help facilitating this. And that image is something that I felt was much more powerful in the movie because you can see that moment where, where like Miss Justin, who maybe the the actor, of course, that that portrays her is just really good at what she does. But you can see that moment where she realizes, yeah, humanity's done. I just gotta pass on the knowledge. Like that's why I'm here is to just give the final knowledge of humanity to these new children. Uh, so, anyways, uh, good movie. I would go ahead and recommend it. I I would go ahead and uh, maybe read the book, or if you know, I'd like to hear your thoughts if you if you've saw the movie before the book I thought it would be interesting to hear what you thought because you know I knew a lot of what was going on so I was able to put my own spin on it from reading the book but it would be interesting if I had watched the movie first uh so because I wouldn't really know what was going on all right well uh we're gonna go ahead and go to tuners up next so go and stick with us after the break and uh hear some tuners all right thank you Chapter 9 Abby offered to show John to his room and took him through the tunnels with curved metal walls. From the curvature of the tunnels, John could see that they were in some sort of sphere. 
There wasn't any sort of windows, as far as John could tell. The people in jumpsuits walked by them in the hallways. Abby nodded and said hi to a couple of them as they walked past. For the most of the walk, the only thing that John had said was an inquiry about his father. Abby explained that he was in critical condition and that John could see him as soon as the doctors cleared him for visitors. For now, there was nothing she or even Hector can do about it until then. After they seemed to round the tenth curved hallway, John calmed down a bit. He decided to make conversation. So why a mall? he asked. Why not a cornfield or something? That would make our lives easier now, wouldn't it? Abby laughed. For some reasons we haven't really quite figured out yet, the weak spots only appear in places where a lot of the people gather all the time. They also tend to appear in spots where people experience leisure more so than stressful situations like work. They also seem to be in places that are similar across the world. If you've been in one mall in America, then you've been in a hundred. Malls just seem to have the most favorable conditions. So uh, why not a stadium or a church or something? Malls are open from 7 in the morning till midnight. No matter what time of day, there are always people around. Stadium and churches? People only go there for a very brief amount of time. If you notice the amount of time that people spend wandering a mall doing nothing at all, you'd be surprised. Is that why I can tune? Because I hung around the mall all the time, John said? Abby laughed. <laughs> no, but it certainly puts you in the right location to discover your talents. Yeah, but why can't I hear it and not, you know, other people? I mean, you don't have an instrument that can scan for weak points or something. Better people than you or I have tried. They can't make an instrument to detect it because they don't know what or how we're hearing it. They've tried everything. Genetics, MRI, hormone changes, you name it. They've tried to figure it out. So what, is it magic then? Magic is just science we don't understand. Yeah, but... John didn't know how to say it. But he felt fate picked him for a pretty crappy deal. If he knew that he could have beaten one in a million odds, he would have played the lottery. At least then he could get something for his dumb luck. Now it seemed that either he was going to be chased by cloven-head goons his entire life, at worst, or live as a shut-in because he hears this crazy hum when he tries to go outdoors at best. Abby saw the distress on his face and tried to comfort him. Look, we've all been there. Everyone here had a normal life before they heard the hum for the first time. For reasons we don't know, the ability can start as early as 12, but fades away about in the 20s. When I first discovered it, I was at American Falcon Outfitters. I thought something was wrong with the... Uh, don't you mean American Eagle Outfitters? I'm from number 38. You're from number 42. The national bird of my United States is the falcon. Whoa, 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 wait, you're telling me that you're all from different universes? Yeah, the ability to tune is one in a billion. You think we would be able to assemble a team from just one universe? John's head swam. It was a little too much to take in at the moment. He was barely getting the concept down, much less having to deal with a person that looks and talks like she's an American, but for, as far as John can tell, she could be from Tarid. So you're telling me that the only difference between our universes are the states choosing a different bird? There are other differences, some big, some small. It depends on the universe. For example, 38 and 42 are similar, thus close to the same number in the original ordering system. 
If we find a new one like yours, but with only minor differences, then it's like 42A, 42B, etc. Others, like Universe 212, are so different that you can barely recognize them from your own. Some even have no Earth or don't obey the same laws of physics, so when you tune, you end up in space without air, or explode because your atoms can't keep stable cohesion. Those are the void universes. We don't bother giving those universes a number because we can't explore them anyway. So just how do you know what's on the other side, John asked. When we find a new universe, the equipment here at Tuners HQ can take a snapshot through the tuning window. It doesn't give us much, but it's enough to know if we're going to die if we step through. Think of it like opening a door and then backing out before it closes. But don't go trying it. We've lost so many good tuners who don't tune back in time. John thought about the moment that he felt like he was falling through a void. We lost Walter last week to a void universe, Abby said. He was a good friend. I'm sorry, John said. Don't. Walter knew the risks. We all knew the risks. But we have to continue going. We have to. They continued in science. After a while, they ended up in a hallway with lots of different doors. Abby touched her palm to one of them, and it opened. There was a room on the other side. The walls were white in contrast to the gray metal walls of the hallway. There was a bed, a desk, a closet, and a dresser. There was an open door off to the side that looked as if it was the bathroom. The place was empty and unoccupied. John stepped into the room and looked around. We'll code it to you in the morning, Abby said. In the meantime get some rest and think about it. Not everyone can join the tuners. There are months of scouting, tests, and all sorts of barriers, but Hector has something special planned for you. What do you mean? You saw how many people they sent to get you. Even the cultists try not to risk a collapse of the universe until they can harvest it. Harvest it? What's so special about me? I'll see you in the morning, John, Abby said and closed the door. Hey! John banged the door. He tried to touch the spot Abby touched, and it said, Unauthorized access. He banged a few more times with no luck and went back to the bed. He slunked down, and his eyes grew heavy. He was very tired. that was tuners thank you so much for listening to aaron's horror show don't forget to listen to real paranormal activity on mondays myself on tuesdays and terry's mysterious moments on wednesdays also the sandman's lullaby coming whenever it happens to come around and i want to go ahead and leave you with this girl with all the riffs a jazz artist zombie haha <laughs> Or, or what about girl with all the gifts, like G-I-F, all the silly internet memes, <laughs> or what about girl with all the biffs, <laughs> biffs, like, okay, okay, I'll stop, I'll stop, thanks for listening.